Welcome to Kaya, the college and young adult ministry of Midtown Baptist Temple, a ministry seeking to pursue a deeper faith in Jesus Christ through God's word, fellowship, and prayer. Turn in your Bibles to Nehemiah 9. That's where we're going to be at this morning. Some of you whoop because you know this is where we've been at in Bible study, right? Who's in Bible study here? Who's part of Bible study? That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. If you're not, you saw the hands that were raised, so just reach out to somebody. And guys, it's been a journey getting here. Who else has been sick this week? Anybody else? You shouldn't be here. Why'd you, answer, why'd you raise your hand? No, I'm just kidding. This is great. Um, but yeah, it's been a journey getting here. Um, I hope Nehemiah blesses us this morning. It's been a journey, even in the book. Um, so let me turn there. And we're going to cover a chunk, like a chunk chunk, uh, 19 verses in Nehemiah. So we're going to go ahead, read the word, and then I'll pray us in. Sound good? All right. Let's go ahead and turn in there. So Nehemiah 9, 1 through 19. And it says, Now in the 20th and 4th day of this month, the children of Israel were assembled with fasting and with sackcloths and earth upon them. And the seed of Israel separated themselves from all strangers and stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. And they stood up in their place and read in the book of the law of the Lord their God one-fourth part um, of the day and another fourth part they confessed and worshiped the Lord their God. Then stood up upon the stairs of the Levites, Jeshua and Bani, Camille, Shebaniah, Bunny, Sherebiah, Bani, Chinani, Sherebiah, Bani, Chinani, and cried with a loud voice unto the Lord their God. Then the Levites, Jeshua, Camille, Bani, Hashabniah, Sherebiah, Hadisha, Shebaniah, Pethahiah, said, Stand up and bless the Lord your God forever and ever. And blessed be thy glorious name, which is exalted above all blessing and praise. Thou, even thou art Lord alone. Thou hast made heaven the heaven of heavens with all their hosts, the earth and all things that are therein, the seas and all that is therein. And thou preservest them all, and the host of heaven worshipeth thee. Thou art the Lord the God, who didst choose Abram and broughtest him forth out of Ur of the Chaldees, and gavest him the name of Abraham. And founded his heart faithful before thee, and made us a covenant with him to give the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, and the Parasites, and the Jebusites, and the Girgashites, to give it, I say, to his seed. And has performed thy words, for thou art righteous, and didst see the affliction of our fathers in Egypt, and heard us their cry by the Red Sea, and showed them signs and wonders upon Pharaoh, and on all his servants, and on all his people of his land. For thou knewest that they dealt proudly against them, so they didst thou get thee a name as it is this day. And thou didst divide the sea before them, so that they went through the midst of the sea on the dry land, and the persecutors thou threwest into the deeps, as a stone into the mighty waters. Moreover, thou ledest them in the day by a cloudy pillar, and the night by a pillar of fire, to get them light in the way wherein they should go. Thou camest down also upon Mount Sinai, and spakest with them from heaven, and gavest them right judgments and true laws, good statutes and commandments, and made known unto them thy holy Sabbath and commandments, and their, them precepts, statutes and laws, by the hand of Moses thy servant, and gavest them bread from heaven for their hunger, and brought forth water for them out of the rock for their thirst, and promised them that they should go and to possess the land which thou hast sworn to give them. But they and our fathers dealt proudly, and hardened their necks, and hearkened not to thy commandments, and refused to obey, neither were mindful of thy wonders that thou didst among them, but hardened their necks, and in the rebellion appointed a captain to return to their bondage. But thou art a God ready to pardon, gracious, merciful, slow to anger, and of a great kindness, and forsookest them not. Yea, when they had made them a molten calf and said, This is thy God that brought thee out of Egypt and had wrought great provocations, yet thou in thy manifold mercies forsookest them not in the wilderness. And the pillar of the cloud departed not from them by day to lead them in the way, neither the pillar of fire by night to show them light in the way wherein they should go. Let's pray. 
Father, I just want to thank you for this time. I want to thank you uh, that your word is powerful. I want to thank you that uh, people are here today, Lord. And I just pray that we would have um, open ears and ready hearts to receive your word. God, I pray that the word would speak into our situations, that we'd be reflective on what it's saying here in this passage, Lord, and that we'd be able to come away with more of your character moving forward. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, I told you guys it was a chunk, wasn't it? Yeah, it's the whole testament. We're going to do it. Brandon's looking at me funny. Yeah, we're doing it all. Um, but you probably don't even know who I am, so I'll start there. My name is Alvaro Briones. Hi. My wife's Malaya Briones. She's over there somewhere. Um, we've been in this ministry for years now. And yeah, I'm not the pastor here. I'm not PB. I'm not that crunch crunch, that pastor Brandon, or peanut butter, if that's what you thought. Um, but that's who I am. Um, this is what we've been studying out in our Bible studies. And so I want to give you guys some background because that was a lot coming in, right? The nation of Israel is doing some crazy things in this chapter. But to give you context, this book in the Old Testament is called Nehemiah, right? And it's based on the main character, Nehemiah, who got a burden from the Lord to go rebuild Jerusalem, right? He hears that. I keep saying right. I got to check that. So he keeps, he keeps um, getting this burden because he hears that the walls are being burnt down, that the gates are being destroyed, and his city is in complete shambles. That's where, that's where the state of Israel's at. They're all in bondage. Even Nehemiah writing this right now, he's in bondage. And so Nehemiah hears this call, and he says, yes, I'm going to go. I'm prayed up. He fasts. He goes, and he goes on God's mission. And that's what the whole book's been about. It's them rebuilding this wall, right? They face opposition, which is crazy. They, for, they face uh, verbal attacks. It's like, the worst trash talk in the Bible. It's like, if, if a fox runs up, if a kitty runs up this wall, go down. It's like, what is that? They, they face a more verbal attack, but becomes worse, like a threat. They say, if you build this wall, we'll kill you. So to the point that they have to build the wall with one hand and the other hand have spears in their hands. And they face some confusing attack with, with friendships in the world. The enemy says, hey, you know what? You're almost done with the wall. Let's just be friends, right? And so like, it's crazy that these people have gone through so much and more. There's internal struggle and so much more. But coming up to Nehemiah 9, we have Nehemiah 8, right? So these people are growing. Can you see that picture? They're growing in their faith. They know what the enemy looks like. And then finally, the first time in Nehemiah 8, the Bible's open. Do you guys notice that? This is the first time in, in Nehemiah that you see the Bible open in the previous chapter. We learned in the previous chapter that Ezra had opened the word unto them. They understood the law of God. They were attentive to the law of God. And they started doing what the law commanded of them. This is huge. It's like a revival in their church, right? The, what the law commanded, well, it's to dwell in booths in the seventh month. So they were actually going through the feast. And then it ends with doing the commands of the Lord brought them great gladness. That's awesome, right? So, that's right again. But as we read verse 1 and 2... There's a, there's a shift in the story, and it begins with now. Now, in the 20 and fourth day of this month, the children of Israel were assembled with fasting and with sackcloths and earth upon them. And the, se- the seed of Israel separated themselves from all strangers and stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. Okay, so now, now, now. It had been 24 days since Nehemiah 8.1. They had just come out of seven days of feast, right? The Feast of Tabernacles. And there was other feasts, the Feast of Trumpets. But you see that there, something happened on the 24th day. The number, the, day, the 24th day was not a feast celebration. They were not commanded to do this. But it was an assembly they put on themselves. The number 24 is associated with peace in the Bible. In number 70, 788, the sacrifice 24 bullocks as a, a peace offering. In Numbers 25, 9, 24,000 died because of sin, but there was, sin, there was peace in the camp. It c- continues on, and it also has to do with warring. It has to do with warring. Every, there's multiple mentions of the number 24 in the battle or an army or the number of people in an army. Or there's this bad giant with 24 extremities, like six fingers on each hand and six toes. So 24, the Bible says it. But you see that there's, there's a wrestling here, right? There's peace, but there's also war. And in the end of the Bible, number 24 is related to worship, right? 24, 24 elders worship him at his throne. 
So our takeaway from these two verses is that based on the number 24 in the context, this day is a day of wrestling for the nation of Israel. It's also a day of worship. Like I said, it was not a day mandated by the law. This is not part of that, but it was a day for them to be consecrated. And it just makes me think how intentional they were in consecration, right? And so some might ask, why the big change? Like the law explicitly told them to be glad and go home. <laughs> On the 23rd day, it's like, go back to your tents. You're good, right? But there, there was a big change, and it happened in Nehemiah 8.18 in the verse. And this is part of it. It says, and they read, he read in the book of the law of God. He read in the book of the law of God. And that was enough for them. Isn't that wild? Sometimes you can read something in the Bible, and that's all it takes to realize that there's something separating you from God. There's something that, that, that you're not right. There's something off between what the book says and where your life is at. And that's where the nation of Israel was. That's why they turned to mourning. That's why they made this day such a big deal, because they needed to get back with, to God. They needed to get right with God. And that's our whole message today, is how do we, as believers, return to God? How do we do that? Can, can we pull something from Nehemiah 9 to show us that in our daily walks? Okay. It's a lie. But you see, the first thing they do is they fasted and separated, right? Fasting is seeking God for something. It's that simple. That's the main thing. You know, we see in Acts 13, when they separated Paul and Barnabas, they sought out the Lord in fasting. And they, and they did this so they can get wisdom and guidance in their season of fasting. Who, who went through uh, uh, fasting the last few weeks? There's corporate prayer, right? Uh, we all, as a church, decided to commit two weeks to fasting, right? To, to ask the Lord, to plead the Lord for, for whoever we wanted to see saved. Because that's his will, right? And so we did that. But you see here that Nehemiah didn't just fast. They fasted and separated themselves from strangers. So that's a, that's a, that's a really important thing. Actually, the first mention of the word fasting is in this chapter, Nehemiah 9.1, and in this variation, and what we learn from it is that when we fast, we're supposed to fast and separate ourselves from the world. We're supposed to fast and separate ourselves from the world. I mean, think about it from God's perspective. If we fasted and we held on to our sin, man, this doesn't sound right, right? It's just like, it'd be weird for them to fast, but then still be part of the world every day and not really care about their fast. So we see that here, that fasting and separation go together. And it wasn't just, you know, sometimes you think in the Bible, it's just like, man, they just sort of know to do things. Like, who thought of just throwing on some, like, dirty, you know, thrift store clothes and just being more, like, who, who thought of this, right? It's sort of crazy. But you see that they do this based on the word. So Leviticus 26, 40 through 42 says this. If they shall confess their iniquity and the iniquity of their fathers with their trespass, which they trespass against me, and that also they have walked contrary unto me, and that I also have walked contrary unto them, and have brought them into the land of their enemies. If, they, if then their uncircumcised hearts be humbled, and they then accept of the punishment of their iniquity, then will I remember my covenant with Jacob, and also my covenant with Isaac, and also my covenant with Abraham will I remember, and I will remember the land." See, God had promised them in Scripture that the moment, the moment they would recognize their sin, he would forgive them. He's that good, right? And he'd remember them. He, and God even told them how to do that. So here's a key question number one. Am I separating and seeking? And that's really the first step to knowing to get right with God. It's to separate and seek God. Am I separating and seeking And if you do this, he actually does provide a clear direction wherever you're at in life, wherever you're at. Now let's keep going. Verse three and four. And they stood up in their place and read in the book of the law of the Lord their God, one fourth part of the day and another fourth part they confessed and worshiped the Lord their God. Then stood up upon the stairs of the Levites. Here we go. Jeshua and Bani, Kadmiel, Shabani, Bad Bunny, Sherebiah, Chobani, Yogurt, Chinani, and cried with a loud voice unto the Lord their God. I wish there was just a version where the names would be just changed to like Timothy and John 
and Laquan. I don't know. Just <laughs> these always kill me in Bible study. Ethan, Ethan, where are you, Ethan? He even called me out. He said, "I'll see how you do it on Sunday," because I made fun of him on on Monday. Man, that's rough. Okay, but who who are these dudes? Okay, well they're Levites. <laughs> I know, man. Me too. I know. So they're Levites, and they're leadership. So you guys see that? Levites are the leaderships. They're the people who actually did the sacrifices and brought the word to them. And what are they doing? What are these people doing? Well, they're crying out. You guys catch that? They cried with a loud voice unto the Lord their God. They cried. They spent so much time reflecting on God's word here, and they wept, man. They simply wept. And and to cry in the Bible is different things. To call for help, right? To make a crying proclamation, to physically cry. You see this in Exodus 2.23, that the king of Egypt died and the children of Israel sighed by reason of the bondage and they cried. And their cry came up unto God by reason of the bondage. See, we see crying in the Bible happen from a place of need. And these people realized their bondage and they cried unto God and God heard their cry. That's amazing. That's amazing that the God of this universe can hear our cries, right? But we don't cry unless we see our need. You guys see that? We don't cry unless we see our need. And the Levites cried because they saw their need. They saw that God needed to save them from their sins and the sins of their father. And this is a picture for us. I mean, I I did not grow up in a religious home at all, like at all. But I came to a place where I saw my need. Like everything I did, good or bad, it, it never led anywhere. And I started asking questions. And then someone told me that there's a holy God and the things that I did in my heart and also my actions offended him. And I, I couldn't get past that. It was like, well, I'm just living life. Like, you know, get off my grill. But I realized that as I lived my life, the more it played out, the more it unfolded, it only led to death. It only led to death. That's a crazy thing. It was just a downward spiral emotionally, physically. It was just, it was chaos. And the gospel news is that God made a way for us to re- be reconciled to him. And there is a place, if you're here today and you've never cried out to the Lord, you might want to do that today because you do have need. You do. This is something that takes some recognizing, some, some real reckoning in your heart. But if you see the gospel story as true, which is God being holy is separate from man, and, and the only way back to him is through a righteous sacrifice, that being Jesus Christ, man, that, that is why we cry out for help because we see ourselves in light of that. If God is holy and I am not, how can there be any reconciling there? Well, his name is Jesus Christ. And he came to this world for sinners like me, like you, so he can make a way for us to be reconciled to the Father. It's through his sacrifice, his death, his burial, his resurrection, that now I have forgiveness of sins. You know, the Bible says that he was made sin so I would be made righteous in him. What a gift, right? And so the key question number two for us today is, have I cried out to God for salvation? Have you realized your need? Have you realized that you're in bondage? These people did. These people definitely did. And they were doing God's work, right? And they're still in their state, still in their activity. They were in bondage. They needed deliverance. Man. And I know this is something that would have been helpful for me to know when I got saved, but... His first coming was for salvation. But you know, the Bible actually says he's coming back. And that time he's coming back, it's for judgment. It's for judgment to know that you're in Christ or not. It's for judgment to know that that if you've accepted his peace offering, his sacrifice, or if you haven't. So just, just know that. You know, the Bible says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God, that being Jesus, is eternal life. Isn't that good news? That's what we call it good news. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Man, this just keeps getting better. So they cry out, right? They separate, they seek, they're crying out, and now they bless. Look at this. This is all in context of returning to the Lord. Then the Levites, pray with me. Jeshua, Camille, Kabani, Hashabniah, Sherebiah, Hadijah, Shebaniah, and Pethahiah said, Stand up and bless the Lord your God forever and ever. And blessed be thy glorious name, which is exalted above all blessing and praise. Thou, even thou, art Lord alone. Thou hast made heaven, the heaven of heavens, with all their host, the earth 
and all things that are therein, the sea and all that is therein, and thou preservest them all, and the host of heaven worshipeth thee. Wow. Can we, can we consider that? That when we're separate from the Lord, the first thing you got to do is recognize who he is. We got to recognize who he is. For how long? How, how long should we stand up and bless? Forever and ever. You might ask why. Well, it sounds pretty long, right? Well, the Bible says he will reign forever and ever. So consider your life. In 150 years, will your paycheck matter or the fact that he's king? He will reign forever and ever. In 150 years, what will matter besides the fact that you're praising God and who you got to bring with you, right? He will reign forever and ever. His mercy endureth forever. His word endureth forever and ever. Glory be to him forever and ever. His throne endureth forever and ever. Amen. So good. Guys, there's things that endure forever and ever, and that's him. Let's read Revelation 4, 9 through 11. And when those beasts give glory and honor and thanks to him that said on the throne, who liveth forever and ever, the four and twenty elders fall down before him that said on the throne and worship him that liveth forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. Recognizing who God is then leads us to remember what God has done. But we have to start there. We have to recognize who he is. We have to put him on that throne. That's how we start going back to him. It's really setting him up high and saying, wow, that's who you are. That's really like 90% of the issue. (laughs) You know, as soon as you do that, it's like, okay, Okay, I, I needed that, right? I needed to be reminded that God is up there. His throne, this throneship is the issue, right? And it's, it's easy for us to, to, to forget this. You know, sometimes we can be a little sluggish on returning to the Lord because we just simply don't recognize who he is. It's just that. You know, he's bigger than our anxieties. He's bigger than our lack, right? And the call this morning is to see him correctly and return to him, Right? And it's easy to get sideways on who God is in ministry. So I was rolling on the sermon. I was, uh, what's that coffee shop? Front Range. Real cute. Eight bucks a coffee. Real cute. And I got my headphones on. Carrie Job's going on. And it's this, don't laugh at me, okay? But it's a song, He's With You, you know? And it's like, He's With You. Like, you know, it's like, and I'm like, I'm like, you know, I'm feeling myself I'm like, yeah, He's With you. And I'm reading this passage, which really does sort of take that, like, God is with them, right? And so I'm like, okay, I know the title of my message. He is with you. I haven't even read the passage. <laughs> it's so sad. But it, it's so funny because that's just an example of me. And I, I would never say this. But sometimes when we read the word, we, we just think we know better than God, you know? And God had to correct me the day, I think the day after we had LFBI, and guys, LFBI is a blessing. Methods of Evangelism with Brian Clark, Amen. boy kills it. But he, he read me, because he, like, he was like, you know, some of you guys think that uh, he's for you. And I'm like, that's me, Pastor. <laughs> you know? And he was like, but you're wrong. God's not for you. And I was like, whatever. Yeah, he is. You know, like, so I paused it. I played it again. I was like, okay, he's not for me. And he's like, yeah, God, there's three sides. God's side, the devil's side, and your side. And your job is to get on his side. He's not for you. And it's like, man, like the Lord just used that to convict me. Be like, yeah, just, just get in the word first before you think of a message title. But it's just easy, right? And so here's a key point. To return to the Lord, we must begin by placing him on the throne. Return to the Lord by placing him on the throne. He's not just your Sunday He's not just your quiet time. He is the Lord. He is the Lord. Now, we're going to transition a little bit here, okay? Change gears. I'm going to get some water. Uh, Yep, that's good. Okay. So we're going to see how his lordship actually plays out in Nehemiah's life. And this is a really cool part, right? Um, and so let's read 
verse 7. And so the first part in this section is the first part of remembering is actually remembering our salvation. Remembering our salvation. Thou art the Lord the God who didst choose Abram and brought him forth out of the Ur of Chaldees and gavest him the name of Abraham. See, Nehemiah starts out with recalling the history of Israel, their beginnings, right? Where he called Abram by name. This God we're talking about, this holy God, called a man from heaven down by name. He said, Abram, come out. I want to change your name. And you know, and the name change is so important because Abram actually means exalted father. But Abraham means the father of many nations. <sighs> what a picture for us, right? He's not just this God out there, right? But he's a personal God. He's a father of many nations. He wants to be your personal Lord. And that, that's a big change. This is not just big for Abraham's life, but it's also big for the world. This is the first time God called out a nation for himself. He's doing things. And, you know, I don't know if you guys know about my uh, name-changing ministry in Kaya. I haven't ran, ran it by Brandon, uh, but I'm changing babies' names with permission of their parents, right? So Shiloh is Shippo. I talked to you about this, right? Okay, okay. Everly's Wusha. So Hudson, Lee, you're next. Some might think this is weird. You're looking at me funny. But one day you'll find out, okay? It's just my ministry. It's just, it's just, it's not my ministry. Okay. I repent in front of you. I should not be changing babies' names. Don't do that. But the name change is important, right? Um, you know, guys, this is so good to, to, for me to understand because as they recall Israel's history, they're remembering, right? And I think something that's, this, these are the ABCs, by the way, of Christianity, but something you got to get down is that we, we need to know, and I don't know who's, who said this, some people, people have, but we need to know where we've come from, where we're at, and where we're going, right? And this section is that, it's remembering where we've come from. They recall what God has done, and as should we. Ephesians 2, 1 through 5. And you hath he quickened, who were dead in trespass and sin sins, where in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversations in time past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace are ye saved. So I know I haven't changed your name, but do you remember your name change? Sounds really corny. But do you remember your name change? Do you remember your salvation? Do you remember, if you're a believer in this room, there was something that happened. There's a great thing that happened, right? You went from sinner to saint. You went from wrath to righteousness. You went from enmity to friendship. You went from disobedience to obedience. Wow. You went from light, from darkness to light. You went from blind to seeing. You went from lost to found. That's our salvation. That, there's power in that, guys. There's power in what's happened. And sometimes we just go about ministry. We run, we run, we run, and we don't recall these things. And then we ask ourselves why we're so sideways to the Lord. Man, let it not be so. We got to recall these things. And you know, sometimes our flesh gets us twisted, right? Like sometimes we remember our salvation and we're like, man, the good old days, you know? Like we talk, we talk of ourselves like that. Like, yeah, before church, I used to not, you know? Or, you know, oh man, those were fun times. It's like, man, we, we're getting it a little twisted, right? Like we, we forget the, the darkness and the depravity that we're in and we don't focus on what the goodness was when he did save us, right? That moment. And then other of us are like the church of Ephesus. And Nehemiah is such a great comparison to the church of Ephesus. In Revelation 2, they're characterized as a working church. I mean, can you believe it? Can you believe a church that like, let's say in a year, your Bible study splits five ways. You make four disciples. I'm talking about you. Like, imagine being part of that. Imagine seeing 10 people get saved. And we're like, yeah, yeah, keep going, you know? But then God actually has a word for people like that, and it's this in Revelation 2.5. Remember, therefore, 
from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. The church of Ephesus was characterized as a working church, as a fruitful church, but they've forgotten one thing. They've forgotten to go back to the Lord. They forgot, they left their first love. They left them behind. And so here's our key point. Remember your salvation as the first steps to return to Christ. Remember your salvation. Don't make light of it. Don't run ministry without it. Because that's where the power started. All right. And you see this in, you know, I was saying there's a great comparison in Nehemiah. Well, you see this, right? Nehemiah should be praising the Lord right now. They just completed the wall. Yeah, like they, they should be like, yeah, like parting, you know? They did a great work, but they realized they needed to return to him not only physically, not only as a nation, but spiritually. They needed to draw close regardless of the amount of activity they had going on. Let's keep going. Verses 8 through 13, guys. Shake it off. Halfway. <laughs> All right, and found us his heart faithful before thee, and made us a covenant with him to give the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, and the Parasites, and the Jebusites and Girgashites, to give it, I say, to his seed, and has performed thy words, for thou art righteous. And didst see the affliction of our fathers in Egypt, and heard us their cry by the Red Sea, and showed us signs and wonders upon Pharaoh, and on all his servants, and on all the people of his land. For thou knewest that they dealt proudly against them, so didst thou get thee a name, as it is this day. And thou didst divide the sea before them, so that they went through the midst of the sea on dry land. And the persecutors thou threwest into the deeps, as a stone into mighty waters. Moreover, thou ledest them in the day by cloudy pillar, and in the night by pillar of fire, to give them light in the way wherein they should go. Thou camest down also upon Mount Sinai, and spakest with them from heaven, and gavest them right judgments and true laws, good statutes and commandments. Man, he was personally with them, and he personally spoke to them. That's so cool. So in this section, we see Nehemiah recalling the wonders of God, right? You defeated our enemies, and not just that, you gave us your word. And he says that this happened by the cloudy pillar. So I always thought it was like, a, you know, storm chasers, where there's like one guy with a bad camera. He's like, whoa, look at that, you know, we're going to get that. I always thought it was like a big cloud. I still don't know what, I, what it looks like, honestly. But I'm thinking it's like a nice tucked pillar, you know. Um, but what's the point of the cloudy pillar? What's the point of it? Like, what, what does it mean? Well, if you go to Exodus 33.9, it'll tell you. It was meant for God to talk to Moses. And it came to pass, as Moses entered into the tabernacle, the cloudy pillar descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle, and the Lord talked with Moses. See, this was a place of communion between God and man. And this cloudy pillar is the first time God calls someone a friend. Exodus thirty-three eleven, And the Lord spake unto Moses face to face as a man speaketh unto his friend. And he turned again into the camp. But his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, departed not out of the tabernacle. See, God uses this cloudy pillar to converse with man. And this was rare in the Old Testament, guys, rare. And he calls this type of conversation a friendship. Isn't that interesting? He calls this conversation a friendship as a man talks with his friend. See, he's given his word to guide them, and he calls that friendship. I want to see the, the gears moving. And sometimes we're the worst of friends. Where's Micah? Not you, me. I owe you $10 for McDonald's. Remember that? Last summer? And then where's Chaney? Chaney? Uh, I have your USA shirt. I wore it yesterday to the gym, and I just get weird looks when I wear USA across my chest. I got to give that back to you. But sometimes we're not the best of friends, right? But, guys, God defines friendship. This is so cool. God defines friendship. Let's read about it. John 15, 13 through 15. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Ye are my friends if you do whatsoever I command you. 
Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth, but I have called you friends. Why? For all things that I have heard of my Father I have made known unto you. I have called you friends for all things that I have heard of my Father I have made known unto you. I have called you friends for all things that I have heard of my Father I have made known unto you. That's friendship. God defines friendship based on his word and based on our communion with it. Wow. And isn't that, don't you see that? When you see someone, and I've seen a lot of people like this in this ministry, but you see someone love the word and, and, and they love the word they have it in their hearts. I just want to draw close to that person. I just want to be like, whoa, like, what are you thinking? What are your thoughts? You know, because we see their friendship with God. That's so powerful. That's so powerful. And as Nehemiah recalls this, he's recalling this because it is a gift from God. It's an amazing gift that God's given us his word to commune with him. God's given us an ability to be able to talk with him, to know his thoughts, know his mind. What an amazing gift, right? And I think, I think some, sometimes we forget how privileged we are with that. Nehemiah calls out the word as what? He gives some adjectives as right judgments, true laws, good statutes and commandments. He loves that word, man. And I want to share a testimony of, of a brother named Timothy. The story is from the Fox's Book of Martyrs. Uh, it says, Timothy, being apprehended as a Christian, was carried before Arrhenius, the governor of Tobias, who, knowing that he had the keeping of the Holy Scriptures, commanded him to deliver them up to be burnt, to which he answered, Had I children... I would sooner deliver them up to be sacrificed and part with the word of God. The governor, being much incensed at this reply, ordered his eyes to be put out with red-hot iron, saying, The book shall at least be useless to you, for you shall not see to read them. His patience under the operation was so great that the governor grew more exasperated. He, therefore, in order, if possible, to overcome his fortitude, ordered him to be hung up by the feet with a weight tied about his neck and a gag in his mouth. In this state, Mara, his wife, tenderly urged him for her sake to recant. But when the gag was taken out of his mouth, instead of consenting to his wife's entreaties, he greatly blamed her mistaken love and declared his resolution of dying for the faith. The consequence was that Mara resolved to imitate his courage and fidelity and either to accompany or follow him to glory the governor, after trying in vain to alter her resolution, ordered her to be tortured, which is executed with great severity. After this, Timothy and Mara were crucified near each other, A.D. 3304. Man, what a powerful story. What a powerful story. Because you see, in this era, they had nothing. Can you imagine having a crumpled up copy of, 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 of a piece of John 8? Just that. Just the letter of Timothy in one hand and it's going to be taken away from you. You've been memorizing it for weeks. That's where these people were up against, right? And, and what I want us to take away from this is this might not ever happen to us, but we got to have that type of appreciation for the word. we got to have that appreciation of the word. Key point three, our friendship with Christ must be centered on his word. If you feel distant from him, if you're, if you're apart from him, if you want to return to him, return to his word. Our friendship with Christ must be centered on his word. And that's always like the, you know, it's funny, that's the last place we will go. <laughs> it's like, I want to talk to everyone about my problems before I get in the word. The flesh sucks, you know, but that's where the answer is. See, so they needed to remember their salvation from God as a gift to God. They needed to remember the word as a gift from God. But the, pas- the passage, as it continues, it turns to repentance. And repentance is key. Repentance is key. Verse 14 through 17. And made us known unto them thy holy Sabbaths, and commanded them precepts, statutes, and laws by the hand of Moses thy servant, and gave us them bread from heaven to their hunger, for their hunger, and brought us forth water for them out of the rock for their thirst, and promised them that they should go in to possess the land which thou hast sworn to give them. But they and our fathers dealt proudly and hardened their necks, and hearkened not to thy commandments. 
and refused to obey. Neither were mindful of thy wonders that thou didst among them, but hardened their necks, and in the rebellion appointed a captain to return to their bondage. But thou art a God ready to pardon, gracious and merciful, slow to anger and great kindness, and forsookest them not. Wow. So you see in this passage, God's given them all these things. And you'll see this as a continual theme in Nehemiah 9. God gives them a lot. They don't appreciate it. They fall back. And then they cry. God gives them over to their enemy. And they cry some more and they come back to the Lord. Over and over you see this pattern repeated. But see, what's happened here is that they hardened their necks. Can you guys harden your neck for me? Just a little, just a little flex. No? Oh, Nick did it. Thanks, man. Yeah, it's a little flex, you know, but that's not what the Bible's saying. You guys are all wrong. I'm wrong. But what does hardening your neck mean? So if we look, if I were to do a word study, and you guys should, harden your neck. I think that's a good phrase. Harden necks. But what this means is it's, it leads to forgetting God's word and following vanity. That's what a hardened neck looks like. It means not wanting to hear. That's what a hardened neck looks like if you're having a hard time hearing things. It's also progressive. Proverbs 29.1 says that the more that you go your own way, the harder your neck becomes. And then it's also resistant to the Holy Ghost. And you see that in Acts 7.51, they're stiff-necked. They don't want to hear. And it says that they resist the Holy Ghost. Man, that's what hardening your neck looks like. But let's get it from this passage. What does this passage say about hardening your neck? So I want all pencils down. I just want us to think on the passage, and I want us to consider verse 17. Look what happens when we harden our neck. The first thing that happens is the refusal to obey. You guys see that? The refusal to obey. So I just want to ask you a question right now. Is there an area in your life that you're refusing to obey God? All pencils down. You don't need to take a note of this. Is there an area in your life that you're refusing to obey the Lord? Let's, see, let's keep reading the passage. They stopped being mindful of, what God, of the wonders that God did, right? It, it's, and I want to ask us that. Are, did we stop being mindful of what God's doing in our life? Do we just go, to, go about our life without considering the Lord at all? Is that a place that you're at this morning? Now let's look at the effects of hardening our necks in this passage, right? It says that in the rebellion appointed a captain to return to the bondage. So two things. They let someone lead them back to darkness. They let someone lead them back to darkness. Is there a person in, in our lives that we're allowing to lead us back to darkness? A friend, a relationship, something that's always pulling us back to that darkness. And then third, fourthly, you see that, um, I should just read over here. They returned to their bondage. So they kept stepping back in to a place that they were already set free from. And that's a question for us. Are we stepping back into a place that Christ has already died for, he's already bled out for? Are we stepping back into a sin specifically to you? That's, that's what hardening your neck does to you. It's, it's a really hard thing. And you don't notice it till it's so late, right? Oh, man, I remember discipleship was a wreck. You're looking at a wreck here. Like, Blade, if you ever watch this, I'm sorry for the year and a half of our lives. No, it was great. But in discipleship, I had a hardened neck. I did not see, I did not recognize sin at all. I didn't think it was sin. I wouldn't told you. I, I cared even the fact that it was sin. And I remember I, I knew how to skirt blade. He probably, he, he probably disagrees. He probably doesn't think I, I skirted him. But, um, you know, he'd ask me all these theological questions, and I'd be like, yeah, <sighs> I get that. Bride of Christ. Like, I don't know. And then we get to lesson eight. And it's a lesson of sin and in the old book. Um, and he asked me just straight up, he's like, what sin are you struggling with? And I was like, nothing. <laughs> you idiot. I'm not struggling with anything. Like, come on. Man, I got in my Ford probe and I was so convicted. I was so convicted because my neck was so hard. My, I had, my, hard, my heart was so hardened that I couldn't even, I, I, I had to lie to him. I had to, Right. I had to not let him see my flaws. Man, I, I, and, I, and the Holy Ghost pricked me that day to show me, man, you've become hard. You become hard to the things that I don't like. 
and, and I broke, and after that, discipleship was great. <laughs> but before then, it was really rough, guys. But that's what hardening our next looks like, is we, we choose to just get stiff to the word. We get stiff. And so here's the key point. Hardening my neck will wreck my spiritual walk. Hardening my neck will wreck my spiritual walk. And you see this. It doesn't just affect you, but it affects the people around you. Nehemiah, as he's writing this, is a slave. He's a slave in bondage still. They're set out, right? But the whole point of Nehemiah 9, it ends with them making another covenant because of the sins of them and their fathers. They're enslaved. Man, it affects people around you too. But hardening my neck will wreck my spiritual walk. And let's finish out, guys. Verse 18 through 19. Yea, when they had made them a molten calf and said, This is thy God that brought thee up out of Egypt and had wrought great provocations, yet thou and thy manifold mercies forsookest them not in the wilderness. The pillar of the cloud departed not from them by day to lead them in the way, neither the pillar of fire by night to show them the, light, the way wherein they should go. Isn't that amazing? We see that although Israel wrought great provocations, blasphemies against the Lord, he never forsook them. Not once. Not once did he forsake them. And this is why they're able to return. It's because God makes a way for us to return. God makes a way for us to return. And we won't get it, but this is the rest of the chapter, right? People rejecting the Lord and the Lord making a way for them to return. And he didn't stop guiding them for a specific purpose. He didn't stop guiding them because of his mercies, his manifold mercies, right? And, and this is something for us to take away because I think, and this is something I've had to wrestle with in my life, but we have to look at God's mercy in the right way, right? Romans 6, 6 1 says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. You, you guys already know the answer, Right? Um, but when we're in a place of sin, sometimes our flesh, who we are, can tell us we're getting away with it. You guys ever been there? It's like, okay, well, God did nothing. Must be getting away with it. That's a wrong view of mercy. That's a wrong view of mercy. The right view of mercy is that when we're separate from the Lord that way, that he is grieved. He's just waiting. That time that he hasn't judged you is because... He's withholding judgment from you. And that is the definition of mercy. It's a withholdment of what you deserve because of what you're doing. He's just being merciful. He's like, yo, I'm just waiting. I'm just, man, stop that. I'm just waiting. I'm just waiting. Just come back, return. He's waiting. He's merciful. And that's why he didn't forsake them. And, you know, sometimes it's hard to see mercy that way because it's hard to receive mercy. You guys ever been in that place too? It's like you know you don't deserve it. So you're like, you're like why would you even do that? But look at his character in Romans 2.4. It says, Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. What leads us to repentance? The goodness of God. He's not out to scold you. You know, as they recall this passage, they've been remembering, but now they're repenting. And that's going to be the pattern for the rest of the chapter is them repenting, them remembering that God's merciful. And they need to remember that for them to be driven back to, to him. So this is our last key point. God's mercy should drive us to repentance. God's mercy should drive us to repentance. It's when you finally realize, man, I can't keep going that way because not only because it hurts me, but because it offends God, right? Because it offends my Lord. That's why I got to stop. When you get that key in your life that you realize that it's not just about you and what's happening in your life, but you, you realize it's about him and how it's offending him, man, that repentance portion will become so much quicker. It'll become so much easier. And you'll just want to do it less because you know during that time that he's withholding judgment. He's just being merciful. 
He's just being good to us, guys. So, some of us um, this morning need to have this 24th day today. You know, that's how we began. You know, 23 days of feasts, of doing what the Lord's commanded, of doing good things, of building that wall, of, of being able to say, yes, we did it for the Lord. But now, some of us need to have that 24th day where we remember, we repent, and we return. And by doing that, um, I want to ask the worship leader to come up here. Um, there's going to be people up here. And this, I know this message might seem heavy. I'm sorry for that. It's a passage. Um, but this is for all of us. You know, if you're in a place that you just need to remember his goodness, you just got to remember what he's done, come up, pray with somebody. If there's, if there's something that you need to repent of and, and you need some counsel on, come up and pray with somebody, Right? But, but the focus of this message is for us to move forward. The focus on the 24th day, by the end of it, was for them to, to have communion with the Lord. Sound good? So I'll pray us out, guys. Father, I just want to thank you for this morning. God, thank you for your word. Thank you that um, we get to receive it as precious, Lord. We get to look at Nehemiah's life and know that um, it changes peoples, it changes nations. God, I just pray that for my brothers and sisters, if there's anything going on um, that just needs counsel, that needs to be remembered, God, that you would um, be able to speak to us clearly and be able to, to work with us, Lord, through these things and bring us back to you. Lord, I pray that as we move forward throughout our weeks, that we would be honest about ourselves where we're at, Lord, and just be willing to seek you and remembering you, Lord, and going to your word. God, I just pray for a special blessing for that. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We hope that today's message encouraged you to follow Christ in His Word. For more information about Kaya, for service times and information about our disciple-making ministry, please visit our website at caya.live.